Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. We're going to talk about reuniting with loved ones today. Almost every near-death experience that I've read, at least the vast majority, I should say, um, the uh, experiencer meets at least one loved one. And I'm going to give a little uh, apology up front. Uh, My kids are watching Lion King in the other room, so you may be able to hear that in the background. One of the disadvantages of podcasting on a daily basis is that it makes it a little bit harder to work your time in uh, when it's most convenient. There's less convenient time, so we just make time anyway. (laughs) But uh, sometimes experiencers will find themselves surrounded by a host of people, and many of them will be people that they know and love that they know have died. Others are friends or neighbors or even, you know, like former elementary school teachers or whatever that have died will be there to meet them. Sometimes they will even be greeted by people that say, hey, I knew your dad. He made a big difference in my life. Even though the person who is experiencing this had not experienced, had not met that person in real life. But, uh, the uh, experience I'm going to share today is not a reading. I'm going to share a recording from the podcast called NDE Radio. It is one that IONS puts out, the International Association of Near-Death Studies. And so this is an interview uh, with the host of the show and... Uh, Lee Whitting is the host of that show, and he is interviewing in in this uh, podcast a man named Kenneth, who called in to uh, share his near-death experience. So without further ado, here is Kenneth on NDE Radio. Um, when uh, I was eight years old, I had appendicitis, and uh, I was kept at home because the symptoms resembled, resembled flu. And um, then when I was finally brought to the doctor, uh, it turned out to be acute, and my appendix had already burst. So there was an emergency operation, and uh, it was it was pretty serious. It took two operations to finally get me back on track. But um, the first operation, when they first discovered that my appendix had burst, um, that was way back in 1963 when this happened. So I'm mm-hmm. 59 years old now. Uh, just uh, easier back in those days. It was a small town hospital. They didn't have a lot of equipment, so I was put under with ether. And uh, oh, I could really write a tell you a long story. But bottom line was there was a lot of female influence uh, in my near death. It, I was my eight year old self when I got pulled up into heaven. Um, I saw the stars. I saw the tunnel. I know that the stars that I saw going up into the tunnel were actually spirits, and I was one of them. Um, I was inside a bubble or a balloon, as the previous uh, story stated. And I was pulled up through a cloud barrier by relatives, and I didn't know any of them. And um, at eight years of age, I didn't have a clue that uh, my family extended beyond my grandparents. 
it, it just wasn't mm. something that we talked about. So I, I was greeted by great-grandparents, and um, it took a while for them to figure out who I was. I had to tell them who my father was, and then we finally made the connection. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I've got pictures of my great-grandparents. I recognized them immediately when I saw the pictures. They were taken back around 1905 is what we figure. And I know that because my my uh, living grandfather... Um, he's standing next to them in one of the pictures, and he appears to be about 10 years old, so that make it about 1905. But um, wow. I rec- when I saw the pictures, I recognized them immediately. So that was my ma- maternal and paternal grand- great-grandparents that greeted me when I came to heaven. And then as far as the, the strong female influence goes, my great-grandmothers, both of them stayed very close to me and, and mothered me, and we talked and we laughed, and it was it was a great loving relationship and then i was told that somebody very special was going to come for me and to not be afraid and uh, it turned out to be a woman who who had short hair that is rough roughly cut i remember that i remember she was wearing a tunic like like something really ancient um and uh she i call her mother i didn't know what else to call her but to me she was the love that she had was so pure, it was like a mother. So I called her mother, and she picked me up, and I became an infant. And then she took me to a place where um, I saw a continuous levels inside a tunnel that went way back. And um, it was explained to me that I belonged to a family that had a very long history, and that um, each level going back in that tunnel represented a generation of people before me. And some of them saw us standing there. They waved and smiled. Um, then in the center of the tunnel, there was an extremely bright light. And I was told to stand still while the, while the light came to me. And then when it did, I was completely enveloped. I felt like I was completely disassembled and put back together at the same time. And that was part of when I felt like an infant and mother was holding me. And I'm not so sure... I'm not so sure that she told me who or what <clears throat> what this light was. I don't know if she said it was Jesus. I can't really state that for sure, but it was an extremely powerful entity. And then I saw all the <clears throat> developments of my life up until I was eight years old. And uh, I could probably send you the story if you'd like to read it sometime. I'd I like to write a little bit, and um, I think it's fairly clear what I'm trying to put across. Um, you might enjoy it. I don't know. I I would love to uh, to read it, and uh, I think uh, the best thing would be for you to submit it to um, IANDS, and you can find their address at iands.org, because they uh, have a massive collection of these stories, and they're being studied all the time. Uh, it's we're really a, a research center in that regard, and uh, these stories are are so important and so precious, you know. And now, the, the, what one thing you said really caught my attention because that there were your great grandparents to meet you, mm-hmm. but they didn't even know who you were. That it's as if uh, spirits can be dispatched, not not even having the full information on why they're going where they're going. Exactly. Um... 
Yeah, the two older women, of course, I don't know. See, I was eight, so they looked older to me, but a 30-year-old person would look old to me at the time. So I, I described them of as course. older, but they had, to, they had to tell me that they were my great-grandparents, that um, um, they talked about their kids, and they talked about my living grandparents, and they said, they finally explained, well, we are their parents, and it just dawned on me, oh, yeah. My grandparents used to be young. They had parents, too. Surely they did. And then it finally just soaked in. And mm-hmm. then, then it was like a big celebration. And then all kinds of people wanted to let me know that they knew my father in different ways. I, I think I might have met maybe a couple of his school teachers or people that, you know, he was friendly with that had passed on. Um, just a lot of happiness, a lot of love and appreciation. And I, I think I even detected a little bit of, of problems with my one great grandmother was a, um, she was a homesteader from Denmark, or those great grand, grandparents were. They were homesteaders from Denmark, and there was a little bit of a language barrier. Um, it's, it's strange. Uh, really? I, it was, <laughs> yeah, I could communicate them with, with them well, and it was pretty much all mental. It, you you feel more what people are communicating more than just speech. There's more to it. It's all enveloped in kind of a package, I guess, kind of wrapped up in all that love. But uh, there were times when my great-grandmother actually spoke out, and that was just before I was returned. Um, I was given a choice if I wanted to stay or if I wanted to go back. And then I've, I've read that other other people have had experiences like when they were children, they were shown a chair for some reason, a chair or a throne is like a, a piece of the story. Well, I was I was shown the very same thing. My my paternal great grandfather was sitting in a big high back chair when I met him, and then he actually had me sit in his chair. I thought it was no big deal. Then I was shown a chair that was my own, and I was told that if I could, if I wanted to sit in that chair, I could stay with him forever. But uh, <clears throat> I, I wanted to communicate with my mother first, I had a need to tell her where I was. And they told me that I couldn't do that unless I went back down to earth. So I, I chose to go back. And um, as soon as I entered my body and I felt the sickness again, I was kicking myself for doing it because it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you tell your uh, your parents about <clears throat> about your experience right away or did you keep it to yourself? Well, I learned to keep it to myself, but <clears throat> right there in the hospital room when I woke up, uh, my living grandparents um, were there. Of course, my mother was there. I don't remember if my dad had made it yet. I think my grandfather was there. But anyway, um, my grandmother was holding my hand. She was a very sweet, you know, little, little lady. And, but boy, she was, she was a good, powerful person. Anyway, um, the first thing I said was, Grandma, I met your mother up in heaven. And it stunned her. Her mouth was kind of hanging open, and I can still hear her reaction. And all the adults in the room, all of a sudden, oh, no, you must have had a dream. You've been terribly sick. It was just a dream. And they're all agreeing with each other and leaving me out because I was just a kid. And I remember feeling really frustrated with everybody that they would do that to me. It's like, I am telling you the truth. There's no, there's no question of whether or not you're telling the truth when you're in heaven. They know. 
happen on Earth, we have to we have to hear things, and then we have to figure it out for ourselves, and then we have to filter it. And it's we make life a lot more complicated than we need to. Boy, isn't that but, the truth? Yeah, and so anyway, yeah. Um, what I'll do is <laughs> now how? And my go, go ahead. I was going to. Just, I was just going to say, uh, how do you feel uh, your experience affected your your life, perhaps growing up, or or maybe even more so when you were an adult? Well, um, my childhood wasn't really all that pleasant. Um, in some ways, it was beautiful because I could really understand um, the love and the happiness in our family when we got together and we did things as a family, you know. And there was love involved. I could happy occasions, you know, like Christmas and whatnot. I, I loved being around family in those moments. But then there's the hardships of life that have to be dealt with. And the way children, I, I in particular, had to be coerced to really get involved in life on Earth. I didn't really want to. And so I didn't really care for some of my school teachers. I thought they were too harsh. They were too judgmental. And I didn't agree with them, and so I had a stubborn streak of my own. I just wanted to sit and daydream and just go off into things, think about beautiful things that I was interested in. I didn't want to have to stick to the books and read my my studies and whatnot. And uh, that was terribly frustrating for the adults around me. Um, And uh, I was timid, a lot more timid than I had been before. And in some cases, I got picked on because uh, some of the fellow kids, some of my classmates, they noticed that uh, the adults were having a hard time with me, and you, you weren't supposed to do that when you were a kid. So I, I was a target, and uh, it, it was a bit of trouble for me for a while. But thankfully, um, my living grandparents were the ones that really kind of came to save the day. My grandmother in particular, uh, the one that held my hand when I woke up, uh, she was the one, I think, that understood the most that all I really needed was a little bit of kindness and a little bit of space. And then um, I loved being around her. And then whenever I was, I liked to talk about family and family history and where my grandparents came from and what did they experience when they were children. All those kinds of things really became important. And so now at 59 years of age, uh, both my parents are gone, and of course my grandparents are as well. I've inherited all the old documents from our family, our immediate family. I've, I've got the old photos, the old documents I've got. I've just sort of been identified as the family historian. And um, it, it seems like whenever those things come up, somebody finds them in a closet or whatever, well, let's give it to Ken, and uh, he'll hang <laughs> on to it. <laughs> <laughs> so really, then, your experience... Uh demonstrated that there's a spiritual uh, and an eternal connection uh, in uh, amongst family members. So this must have heightened your interest in, in being the family historian. Absolutely, absolutely. But, um, but when Mother came to me, or the, the special woman, I was told to not, not be afraid. You know, when she took me back to look at the tunnel, she basically said, you belong to a family that has a very long history, and she just sort of waved her arm. This tunnel was there, and I could see all these other generations going back and back, and it did go back a long ways. Um, I'm, my family name is Danish by heritage, 
Um, and I guess I've, I've been to Denmark and, um, I, I picked up a phone book when I was there and my last name, uh, is like everywhere. It's just as common as Smith is to us here in the United States. Now, one of the things I find particularly interesting about that account is that this guy, uh, this boy at the time, didn't even know the ancestors that he was meeting, his grandparents and great-grandparents and so forth. And what a beautiful thing that he was still greeted by them. It's also interesting to me that even they did not recognize him immediately, but yet it was made clear to him that this family connection that he had with these spirits, with these people, was very strong and very important. So, uh, let's go on and read a couple samples from different accounts that um, illustrate some other examples of people meeting loved ones. These ones, I think you'll find, are more of the kind where they recognize the people immediately, but... uh, Dwayne on uh, on enderf.org uh, shares this account. He says, On the distant horizon, silhouetted against the sky, I saw what at first looked like an uneven line across the night sky. As I drew closer, uh, it grew into a line of people that spanned the horizon. As they came out to greet me, backlit against the light, I knew them all. Some of them were from my life on earth, others were not. There was my grandfather Amos, along with my favorite dog, Butch, his tail wagging and greeting. Both were central characters in, my, in the idealistic part of my childhood. There was also my wise old granddad Frank, with his wry, bemused grin, Included in this welcome was my sweet Aunt Eleanor and my favorite Uncle Sidney. There was even a man who lived on a ranch up the river from us who had always been nice to me. He gave me a job even when he really didn't need the help. I saw my favorite school teacher and various other people who had played a part in my life on earth but had gone on ahead. As wonderful as it was to see those whom I loved in my current life incarnation, There were others. There were also entities I had known and loved from other times and other places, not of this incarnation. Interesting. Here's another account uh, by Ned Doherty. I turned to my right, realizing that a group of spiritual beings had joined us on the celestial field. This event was indeed a homecoming for me. Among the group of spiritual beings, I recognized deceased friends and relatives from my my life. I also recognized other friends from my spiritual life prior to my birth on earth. I was filled with joy when I recognized my grandparents, aunts, and uncles who had died during my life. However, I was disappointed because I did not see my dad among the group. I then recognized other friends from my life, including a girl from high school, I did not know she had died. The feelings of love and joy that I shared with these relatives and friends were far beyond the emotions I had shared with them during my life. As the child of an alcoholic and broken home, I did not communicate feelings to relatives or friends very well. In fact, I wasn't aware that I had many feelings 
Most of my feelings were hidden inside. Now that I was at my homecoming as a spiritual being, the greetings were the kind that I had imagined took place in a healthy family. It seemed as if I were celebrating every major holiday, every birth and birthday, every wonderful event in all of our lives in a manner that we could never celebrate as mortal human beings. I wanted this celebration and homecoming to continue forever. Isn't that beautiful? That's the end of the quote there. Isn't that beautiful? He recognized not only... uh, people that were close to him in his life, his grandparents, aunts, uncles, favorite aunts and uncles, and so forth uh, in both of the accounts, but also both of them encountered people that they had known prior to their coming to earth. And they didn't seem to have any less uh, interest in that, that person's being there. In fact, they felt uh, very close to them. And I think it's interesting, too, that they get to see some people. I mean, this one saw a girl from high school that he hadn't even known had died. But as you can see from these examples, uh, you can get any number of uh, situations as far as this reunion is is concerned. Some come and don't really have much of a reunion other than maybe with God or Jesus. Um, or you may have just with a mother or father, or you may have an entire legion of, of family members. Often this has to do with how many you knew. Uh, it, it, at least there seems to be a correlation between uh, those two. And since some of the people are ones that you knew before coming to earth, um, there's always the option of a grand reunion. And this reunion seems to be a uh, something of a tradition because it happens in so many near-death experiences and you know it's interesting hearing this from the perspective only of those who came back because we don't know maybe those who did come back and didn't have that experience if they had stayed maybe they would have experienced it that's the case with any of these uh, examples from people that come back they're obviously not getting the full experience that they would have if they had stayed, because if you stay, you have more experience. But uh, the point is that this seems to be something that everyone experiences to some level, and it always seems to be a great celebration, something that is is very highly regarded, something that is a big event for everyone present. And often there are so many present that uh, in mortal numbers, they're uncountable. And then for others, it may be a smaller reunion. And uh, regardless of the experience, the love that is felt there, even in a family like one of those examples that was broken and, and where there wasn't much feeling there, that reunion there on that side is great and it is beautiful. And I think there's a good reason for that. We come to this earth to learn, to grow. We, you know, according to many experiencers, we come in order to experience the challenges that we have in this life so that we can understand and and learn and grow. I doubt that any of us 
leave that realm coming to earth with bitter feelings towards the people that we will have bitter feelings towards on this earth. I think more likely we came to this earth knowing that we would have struggles with that individual because of the lessons it would teach. And probably, again, this is speculation, but my speculation is that uh, that we'll get to the other side and we'll say, wow, we sure did our, our a number on ourselves, you know, with uh, trying to learn those lessons of getting along with each other, didn't we? And kind of, you know, um, laugh about it on the other side when we're surrounded by love and recognizing each other's full motives, being able to see the context in its fullness. Because remember, you're going to see the uh, ripples of what you do in your in your life review. And when you do, you'll be able to see why somebody was short with you, somebody was angry with you at a time, or did something cruel to you. You'll know why they did. You'll know what they were going through and the suffering they were uh, experiencing. And they may not have even noticed that what they were doing would hurt you so badly um, or affect you so badly. But you will be able to see what their experience was. And so when you see that person again on the other side, I think you'll be able to say, hey, it's all good. It's all good. We're, we love each other. That's, we, we went down together and we learned together, hard as it was at the time. It's nice that it's over, but it's so good to be back together. So, uh, to those who have just joined this podcast or have found it on iTunes and want to see previous episodes or listen to previous episodes or, or follow it, it is at neardeathexperiencepodcast.weebly.com. And once again, to all of you, thank you so much for listening.